are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Welcome to another episode of the Call for Caring on Purpose podcast. My name is Michelle Bolden, and I'm your host as we journey through caregiving together. The goal of the Call for Caring on Purpose podcast is to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during the caregiver journey. Our initial episodes will lead us to our third annual Atlanta Family Caregiver Expo, which is going to be held on Saturday, November the 20th. And we'll provide a little more information towards the end of our conversation. So our conversation today, the topic is employer benefits for the family caregiver. We'll talk with an expert about some resources that can be available through your employer. So it could help where you are on your current journey with your family member or even for planning for yourself. And so I always like to kind of start with the numbers because I want you to know how much you are not alone. And so um, based upon the ARP's Caregiving in the U.S. 2020 report, it showed that 60% of caregivers surveyed worked. Of those who were surveyed, they worked an average of 35.7 hours a week. So people are working full-time jobs and being a full-time caregiver very often. 61% of the caregivers reported at least one impact or change to their employment employment due to caregiving. So that could have been sometimes they're late, sometimes they miss days, sometimes they have to have a lot of days off. Um, Yet only about 50% of them reported or informed their supervisor that they were even caring for a family member. So we're kind of keeping this hush, concerned about what what will happen if our employer finds out. So I'm excited to introduce our guest today. She's a human resource expert, Nicole Mitchell. She's president of HR Biz, and we welcome Nicole, and we're excited to get your wealth of information. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, You know, it's an important topic that you're talking about, definitely, you know, in terms of how to make sure you're maximizing what it is um, that's available to you, and people don't often talk about it from the employer side. So. and, uh, my company works with small to medium-sized businesses, and sometimes people think about human resources like it's always for the company and it's always on the management side. But you know, definitely trying to make sure that there's a balance there and there, uh, there are good competitive benefits for the employees and the things that will help them and their families as well. So putting that structure in. Awesome. So, can you share a little bit more about your background and you know, give us even a little more detail about what you're doing now? Sure. So um, my background is I've been in human resources a little over 16 years now. Um, But interestingly, prior to that, I was in healthcare. So understanding from both sides, you know, I I worked in the um, on the laboratory side of things, doing testing and, you know, helping with the the patients and and all things. 
So what it gave me is kind of that unique perspective. So when people are asking, you know, the employees asking about the benefits and so how does this work? And, you know, when do I go here? It's like that, that balance of knowledge. And so, as I said, as my company, um, we have employers who really they don't understand or, you know, they're not sure how to go about creating the, the operations, the things that they need from the human resources side, including the benefits packages. So it's deciding, you know, at my size company, can I offer benefits or can't I? What's the best package for my employees? And how do I bring in things that in this day and time, it's really being competitive? So, you know, because my company, we do all the way from recruiting, kind of the whole life cycle of an employee, from the time you bring them on board, managing the things that happen in between um, to if somebody's leaving or just the company strategically is growing and needs to, you know, get that support and assistance. So, you know, that's what me and my team provide. And so it is, like I said, core to understand what are the benefits that you're offering? What down to, you know, payroll timekeeping, is this competitive? What, you know, what do we need to offer? So um, we do all of those aspects. Um, And like I said, from my background, it's been um, being a generalist. I've been anywhere from a lead to an HR director. So as a generalist, it's literally when the employees are calling you up and going, uh, my benefits aren't in place, or they told me I'm not covered, or I don't know what I, um, you know, what benefits I do have available to me. So, you know, being able, like I said, to help people navigate that on both sides, on the employee end and on the employer side as well. Okay, awesome. Well, you kind of, like you said, you see the whole system from beginning through the end of, of the entire process of employment, which each of these are impactful for the caregiver because hesitation on, can I be employed? Do I tell my employer at the beginning I'm caring for someone all the way through I'll need to leave my job now because I just can't do both anymore. And, you know, what are my options? So that's great that you can kind of help us on this conversation. So how is the family caregiver defined by an employer? Or is there a definition that has been given by an employer? Usually it's a pretty traditional definition. And again, it goes back to what are the benefits that are being offered. Um, And to put it in perspective, people usually think about bereavement leave. And I think that's the closest um, you know, gate that people can understand. So it is the primary, the individual's um, spouse, parent, um, child, and then there's the in-laws, you know, so mother-in-law, father-in-law, um, brother-in-laws, and then it becomes kind of specific to the organization, the size of the organization and their workplace culture, because not everyone will define nieces, nephews, aunts, you know, as part of that dynamic. And that's why I say, you know, if you think of it kind of like in that bereavement leave, it's that immediate close family. And then Mm -hmm. if you extend out, it it starts, you know, needing some more justification of who the caregiver is. Um, And one of the things that's always important in the um, child category, it's whether or not, you know, this is a dependent. So it's the child, it's an adopted child, um, it may be foster, but that tax implication is, is this a dependent of the of the employee to determine, you know, if they're going to be considered a caregiver and what comes along with that. Mm, Interesting, because now so many family dynamics are different. You know, I could have very well been raised by my aunt, who is my aunt, but I really, she's really my mom, right? So I need to take care of my aunt, even though that's the title, but she raised me. And so um, that that's interesting. Yes, very good. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the legal and the tax definitions definitely come into play when it comes down to benefits. Okay. Wow. Okay. And so 
One of the things that people, that some people have used in order to care for a family member is generally FMLA. So, but then there's also paid family leave. So can you tell us um, what is FMLA and what is paid family leave and kind of what is the difference between the two um, and how would, in, how would it impact the family caregiver? Sure, definitely. So FMLA, I like to explain as that's kind of an umbrella. It's a federally uh, mandated leave that says that if somebody has worked for an employer for a specific number of hours, so, and I'll say the numbers and then, you know, there's always the, so 1,250 hours within the last 12 months is the qualifier for the employee. On the employer side, they have to have at least 50 employees and those employees all have to be within a 75 mile radius of each other. So why those are important, because again, the small versus the bigger companies, if I don't have 50 employees and meet those qualifications, then I may be an employee, but the um, company doesn't actually offer me FMLA because they are not in the position that they are required to offer FMLA. Um, the number of hours. So again, the person who's worked for the company for a specific time, if you've only been there a shorter period of time, you may not be eligible for FMLA. What some companies will do is kind of have a company version of it and say, okay, we'll, we'll honor these things or we'll treat it as the same. But really all FMLA does is say that according to the government, if you meet this criteria, then you will be allowed 12 weeks of leave, 12 weeks of unpaid leave. And that will be a protection of your job. So the goal of the FMLA is really to make sure that there's some standard and structure that says if this occurs, it's a serious illness of the individual, serious illness of, again, that, that family member that falls into the category, or if there, and there is a part of it that goes with military um, leave as well. So if you are the spouse of someone in the military, then there is a, a part of FMLA where that kicks in as well that it, it doesn't require the, the serious health condition. But the FMLA, again, is umbrella. It takes the protections of the job and says for 12 weeks, you may be unpaid unless there's some other leave involved, but this is going to protect you that within 12, after those 12 weeks are expired, and it doesn't have to be consistent. It can be intermittent, but that the company will protect your job up to that point, and you'll be brought back to the same or equal position. So that, that is the FMLA umbrella. Paid family leave then becomes very specific to the states. So FMLA is federal. Paid family leave is usually dictated by the state that you're in, sometimes locally, but primarily that there's a paid family leave policy and it will fall into different categories. So there can be paid family leave that's just parental leave that strictly has to do with you know, birth of a child, adoption of a newborn. And then there are others that are paid family and medical leave that incorporates similar to FMLA, that there's a serious health condition of the individual or a family member, and you're actually going to get paid for that. So the paid benefits will kick in, you meet all of the criteria, and then it's usually between 60 to 80% of what that person's wages are, that they will be allowed to receive that for a certain number of weeks. But as I said, it's a big thing that this is state, because a lot of the states don't offer any type of paid family leave. And unless mm -hmm. FMLA is going consistently with your PTO or some other disability coverage you have, you, you may still end up in the position that you have time, but you don't have any benefits or wages to go along with it. Okay. And so you mentioned in there about, so the, so the, the FMLA is a federal 
mandate. The paid family leave is a state. And you're saying that most states don't carry that. What about Georgia? Does Georgia have that? Georgia does not actually Mm -hmm. have a paid medical leave, a paid family leave. Recently, they did make what's more parental leave that um, city and state employees once, you know, either adoption or, or birth of a child, that they would have eight weeks of leave available to them. But that's strictly, okay. it's only to do with what everybody's familiar with and would call, you know, maternity or paternity leave, not right. where it's health care, you know, for an individual or, or a family member involved. Okay. Wow, that's good to know. And so you did mention about the intermittent FMLA or the Family Medical Leave Act. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know sometimes people don't understand that, I, you know, I don't have to use it all in the 12 weeks. I can kind of use it here and there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So you can have the leave where it's a surgery or something else that occurred and you take it for the full period of time that it needs to be done. But if it's yourself or a family member that you have some time that's taken initially where it may have been the initial occurrence, the surgery or something else. And then you have to follow up with follow-up appointments or some type of chronic condition sometimes. Then what will happen is you take that initial time. But as long as you are notifying your employer, this is all related to that same FMLA incident, then you have the full 12 weeks. But it could be broken up in two weeks here, you know, a day or two there. However, it works. And on the employer side, they want to make sure that you're not taking more than those 12 weeks. So you'll be sharing that information, but they'll also be tracking that this date that you took off, you took off for FMLA and it's not associated with PTO, sick leave or, or some other time. So it's very specific to I'm notifying you this is part of the time. And as long as you have up until that 12 weeks, then, you know, you're within using you still using your FMLA time. Right. And people should probably understand there's a process to get FMLA. You just can't say, okay, I want FMLA to start. Absolutely. I mean, there's forms that have to be filled out by the physician and, you know, the HR team. So it's something that you have to plan for. You just can't like jump into it right away. Exactly. And in some cases, it may happen that it was sudden and the person didn't have time to be able to submit those forms prior to, but immediately, as you said, as soon as there's, you know, notification or there's some documentation for FMLA, particularly when it's the caregiver situation that you're going to have to get um, physician's documentation for someone else. So that in itself sometimes poses a challenge because now you're asking on the behalf of, and you're going to share that with your employer. So just, yes, working through that whole process and getting the physicians on board to make sure they understand the process you're going through. One other common benefit that people seem to have available to them is that, that we may not necessarily use is the EAP program. So can you talk a little bit about EAP, Employee Assistant Program, kind of what that is and how that could support a family caregiver? Definitely. So the EAP may vary, again, depending on what the employer offers, but it is. It's the Employee Assistance Program, and the intention being that this is voluntary. These are resources that are provided confidentially, free. Um, There may be a limit to the number of sessions or, you know, what access is available, but the intention is that these are resources that the individual then can access without having to go out and essentially research them themselves. This program, it may be administered, um, like I said, sometimes it's tied into a life insurance policy. So if the company offers it, EAP may be a rider on there. 
or they just may be associated with the health benefits and can be completely separate. But the person has that access to it and it's treated confidentially from the point that the person may reach out to their human resources department and say, you know, I, I wanted to find out some more about it. Um, and can be as easy as here's the 1-800 number, here's a brochure about it. And what people sometimes get nervous about, we can, at that point, the company steps out of it. This has nothing to do with the company. Even I, as an HR person, I can't go back in and ask any information about what has transpired. So it's a good opportunity to go out and get their financial resources, emotional support, mental health, and it's usually a quick um, kind of intake conversation for whoever's um, running the program to get an idea of where it is. And then they can share with the individual what resources are available, how they can go about accessing them, and the things that apply. Again, you know, as we focus on the caregiver, things that apply to the family members as well as the employee. So mental health counseling, support groups, all of those things aren't just limited to the employee themselves. They can reach out and, you know, bring the family in, have counseling sessions, all of those things. Oh, oh that's great. Okay. Well, that, that's even better because it involves that loved one as well, which often they both, especially with counseling, need to probably have some of those conversations together if the loved one is able to do that. So right. that's great. Exactly. Now, one of the things that I have been familiar with in the past are the flexible spending accounts. Um, so some of those may be for costs that are outside of, uh, you know, like, you know, related to healthcare, buying, um, you know, glasses or, you know, some medication or something like that to cover that share. But then also there was dependent care in which you could use to kind of put towards your child care, right? Mm -hmm. And so... How is dependent care maybe evolved to kind of help with adult care as well? So you're, you're absolutely right. The dependent factor of it, um, where people would traditionally think, yes, this is, you know, for my child or anyone. But back to that definition of what the, the relationship is between the individual, if someone is categorized as your dependent, and so um, what the criteria may be, if they are living in the same household, you're providing their support, then if they're categorized as a dependent, then all of those things, benefits that we traditionally think of as a child are the same things that will apply to that dependent. So where it's adult daycare, and it, again, things are very specific to what that plan offers or what that plan covers, um, but adult daycare can be something that is eligible. If that person is classified as your dependent, then the adult daycare cost would fall in the same traditional cost that we think of, you know, when it's, when it's a child's daycare. So definitely looking at the definition of that, anything that says that this is available for the dependent, um, when you're doing the FSA account, you indicate, you know, at the beginning of the year that you want to put aside a certain amount of money towards what it is. So this helps in the financial piece of it's pre-tax money, but you put it aside and that whole trying to figure out how am I going to pay for the daycare in conjunction with other things. So that's another important piece is making sure what one thing versus the other covers, because you don't want to eliminate any coverage or benefit by using one or the other. So kind of lining all those things up together and making sure who covers what. Right. And so now would that include in-home care? So if I was paying for in-home care for this dependent person, is that something that might be covered? 
It can be. And there are times where if it's somebody who is physically or mentally incapable of taking care of themselves and they're categorized as that, then yes, the care that's related to them having, you know, sitters when where where you started out with the fact that you have to get up and go to work. You know, there, there's some point where you don't have the option of being there. So how do you line up these resources? And those can be the um, either somebody is in home or there's the adult daycare where, you know, there's transportation comes and picks them up, yes. you know, all of those things. So, yeah, they definitely can be. And the specifics are in the plans in, in what they cover. So, I mean, that that's I mean, that's just great information to get, because as you just mentioned, sometimes you just have to piece together the resources. I can get a grant from here. I can use my flexible account. Um, and so we just have to be able to be creative in how we do that, because um, some of us, unfortunately, don't have the option of whether we decide to work or not. We have right. to work. And so we may be taking care of our parent, but we also have a household to take care of. A child, you know, we're, and we're married, whatever that looks like, it's just not just the care of the adult and, and we have to be able to live. So exactly. um, all of this is helpful to decide how we can do that. And so one of the other benefits that I want to talk, talk about um, in caring for someone is the long-term benefits. Um, can you talk a little bit about long-term care and how that may impact caregiving? Sure. Um, one of the things that um, some employers will offer is the long-term care as part of their benefits package. So looking at, you know, what are the needs? Sometimes it's even demographics of the organization and say, you know, there are people who are, how many people are interested in it? So it's positioned as we have primary benefits, medical, dental, vision that everybody's familiar with, and then adding in a long-term care. And there, there's definitely a point there where you, you kind of have to decide whether the employer-based long-term care or the just going out on your own. So long-term care intention is there is a benefit and it's particularly it could be you're doing the care, doing the insurance for yourself whether or not these funds extend outside of the individual. Do they extend to a spouse or, you know, same things that we've been talking about. So employer sponsored is similar to another plan. They're offering you the insurance. It's usually 100% employee paid. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, the employer may make a contribution, but you're selecting this as a type of insurance that you're interested in having. So, you know, think again, sometimes they'll offer cancer or accident, those types of things. Long-term care falls into to that type of category. So you're paying for it. And again, looking to see what does that plan offer? They can pay anywhere from um, in-home sitters for long-term care in a facility, but it's going to be a percentage that it's paid. Um, think of hospitalization the same way. If you're in the hospital, it may be uh, 100% covered, or it may be 80% covered. It may be 60. What is the category that you're falling in? And the opportunity for employer care is, is that they're grouping it together. So like other group insurance, you may get a better rate on what that care is. But again, plan specific. You want to make sure that just because it was a better rate, does that mean you know, you're comparing apples to apples? Aside from that, you can go out on your own and purchase long-term care the offering by employers are, are not as robust and usually not as often as the traditional health care because people aren't necessarily going to take them up on it. So administrative wise, less employers until you get to the bigger employers, um, less of the smaller and medium sized employers are offering long term care. 
but people who are concerned about it will go out and find their own plans. And that's like you buy your typical life insurance. It will sometimes come with a you know, health questionnaire or requirement for you to get a physical. But you're going in saying that at a certain age or at a certain point in disability or whatever you know, the circumstance, you are purchasing this option for long-term care with a, you know, a premium. This is what's covered um, and getting into the details of how this is going to work at the point that I that I need the care and facilities that that may accept the long term care insurance. And, you know, with long term care, I will say as a personal and companion care provider, we do have clients who that's how they pay for their coverage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what happens is generally there is some upfront costs they have, they may have to pay for the first couple of months, and then they'll reimburse them eventually for that time. And so that's one of the first things I always encourage families to ask, um, or to find out about their loved one, did you ever have a long term care um, policy? And so let's use that first before we have to go out of pocket for anything. And so that's one of the benefits that um, if you are caring for a loved one, you can ask that question, or you know that you're in that caregiving route or preparing for that journey, you want to ask them those questions. Do you have a long-term care policy and let me have access to it? Make sure if you need a power of attorney so you can, you know, get those documents signed, you can do that. But also we can plan for ourselves now, right? So we know that benefit is out there. And so we are living longer. We want to stay in our own homes or we want to have more options. So looking at long-term care insurance is something we should be doing for ourselves as well. Um, and so when you think about kind of long-term, there's short-term disability, long-term disability, and I just want people to understand the difference between that and long-term care because they are different. Right, so can- exactly. And, and the many offerings. So, you know, it can be the most intimidating time like when people say it comes to open enrollment and people just lay out all of these things in front of you and you're just like, Okay, what am I supposed to pick? I know, how right? Do I know which ones to do. Uh, and it is, it goes life cycle, you know, where you are, all of those things. But the short term and the long term disability, just like, you know, long term insurance is completely voluntary. Um, and in a lot of cases, long term disability, again, will be tied and can be tied in to either the healthcare benefit or if the company offers a life insurance policy. So those in, in are usually employer paid. So long term disability being, the after the 91st day. So I'll, I'll talk about short-term disability. And then, you know, the short-term disability is considered day one through day 90. If you are out of work and you've chosen to participate in a, sh- in a short-term disability plan, again, this is going to be paid by you, not the employer, then you have um, coverage for usually it's 60% of the salary So you say there was an injury, an accident, day one through seven, usually you may not have a benefit for it, but after that point, then it's going to pick up for the next, up until the 90th day, and you're going to receive a payment from whoever that carrier is for 60% of the wages or whatever the specific number is for there. Again, this is something that you have to decide at the point of, of enrollment that you're signing up for, you're paying for it. And you will file a claim when that occur, you know, the occasion happens. When they hit that 91st day, then long-term disability is going to kick in. And that can literally be as long as the disability um, continues. It can be something that if a person is no longer able to go back to work, then their long-term disability would continue for however long, you know, that insurance coverage was available to the individual. And it 
change sometimes. The amount will change, whether or not that's um, 60% or a different percentage of the salary. And what's important is that long-term disability can have a maximum amount on a monthly benefit. So people who are in a higher income level may not be able to see the full amount that they would have received in their, you know, their 60% could be, Mm -hmm. let's say 60% would have been uh, $6,000 because you're making $10,000 a month. Well, you may make more than that and your 60% is never going to actually catch up with it because the monthly benefit stopped at a certain amount. Your mm-hmm. monthly benefit says, I can't make more than, I can't give this more than that in the benefit. You have to plan of how you're going to supplement that because your 60% is not the same as someone else's 60% who stayed below that. So, you know, it's kind of the stages. Short-term disability will roll into long-term disability and that can just continue or continues for the, the time that the person is out and then they revert back to their, their regular wages. Okay. And so if you have the short-term, long-term disability, you can get some income to help you while you're kind of getting that recovery period. And so if you go beyond those long-term disabilities, that's where you can kind of start. If you have to, you no longer can work because of this injury, you can start pulling that long-term insurance or long-term insurance benefit, right? Eventually you can pull that in. Yes. Exactly. And all again, stacking things on top of each other, all of the things that you have is this when you start applying for social security and anything that now I am no longer physically working and I have a physical disability, how do I, you know, make sure I'm getting all the coverage I can. That's right. And you know, what I find interesting, often, you know, there have certain industries have grants that they will help to care for their. So I think there was a flooring grant like tile, carpeting, et cetera, in the state of Georgia, they have something that's a flooring grant. So those who are in that industry can have access to those dollars that help with home care. So, you know, you can always research and see what's available if you work for a long period of time, you know, different organizations have um, the ability to access industry grants that can help you as well. So you want to just make sure you look for anything and stack this this money together so that you're able to get quality care in your home or wherever you decide your home may be, right? Exactly. So as we kind of talk about benefits, um, you know, and an employer benefits, um, I'm going to share a little more numbers here. So in 2019, 2020, um, there was a caregiver in the workplace survey done um, by the Northeast Business Group of um, Group of Health and ARP. And what it found was that about nine, 9% of employers surveyed that um, caregivers um, are among their top five priorities for employee health and benefits. So caregiving is among the top five priorities in their health and benefits. However, 78% employees said that their workplace um, supported the family caregiver. So while only 9% thought that, you know, said that this is a top priority, um, you know, 78% in reality um, actually are saying that it is important, but only 9% are really kind of showing that. And so... We do want to talk a little bit about maybe where there's other opportunities for us to be able to, as an employer myself, to better support these family caregivers. So we're going to take a small break with our sponsor, and we'll be right back on the other side to talk about that. We would like to thank our sponsor, Home Helpers of North Atlanta. 
in which they are giving care the way you want to be cared for. You can schedule your free assessment at 404-624-4663. All right. So um, again, we just finished up a conversation about some of the common benefits offered by employers. So um, great information. And, you know, I just provided a little information about um, employers' view of their importance, um, the importance for caregivers of benefits that support them, but the reality of what has happened is a little bit different. So, Nicole, can you just kind of tell us maybe if there are other benefits that employers offer that may allow for the family caregiver to continue to work at home and care for their loved one? Because sometimes if you give them a choice, they're going to say, I'm going to care for my loved one. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, and it, it, what I'm going to say is going to sound kind of pie in the sky of, you know, these, these are the ideal, these are the ways that the employers work. Um, but say um, just because and it's unfortunate that the pandemic has driven, you know, some of the remote work and the opportunities that people may not have had before, but it has pushed us into the reality where employers can give that remote work option. And I think that is one of the primary things to say you know, how can I arrange my schedule so that I can continue to be committed to the work and the time that I need to do, but also be, being able to do that if there's not any issues with, you know, the performance of my work. Because a generous and, you know, well-intended employer, at the end of the day, they're still trying to make sure that, you know, the work gets done. So remote, remote work options, definitely. And as they've become more popular and understanding that productivity doesn't always suffer. It's industry dependent, but, you know, productivity doesn't have to suffer because of remote work. Um, Flex scheduling is another piece where how do I make it so that if, if it's not an industry that to be, let's say on the phone from nine to five, um, how can I make it so that this scheduling works with the individual's needs? So, you know, like we had talked about um, adult daycare, the way you say when we think about getting the kids off of the bus, how do I make it so that my schedule allows me to be available during those times and having, which shouldn't be a tough conversation, but it is usually for employees, go in with a plan and be able mm. to say, here's the schedule that I need. This is what it would be. How can I make it work on both ends so that, you know, you're still getting what you need to have done. Um, but I'm able to have a schedule that works. Um, another thing that's not often used as much, and sometimes it's job sharing, where there mm -hmm. are actually two people, or you know, if it's this is the part-time employment that someone has, um, how can you make that work so that the hours, if you have the financial flexibility, that we're tied into the 40-hour work week, but is it a matter of, you know, as long as that position work can, can get filled. So, you know, those are the, the job sharing is, is harder in a lot of industries. Um, but one of the other things is supplemental benefits. Like we mentioned before, um, going out and finding where are those benefits that will allow me to be able to still um, access what the employer is giving me to be able to um, continue my work. So is it a matter of if I have some type of benefit that gives me um, accident insurance? You know, again, that I, I have a way to figure out, okay, this is covered. If I have to be out of work for a specific period of time, looking into all of the, the opportunities that you have that will say, if I have to be out of work for some period of time, I have some way that's going to, to be able to cover it. And, and not being shy and having conversations with the employer 
because I think I'm stuck in this traditional, you know, setup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of leads me to the next question is with the pandemic, how has the pandemic impacted employers' benefits and the support of the family caregiver? You know, it, it's allowed for us to be a little more creative than what we do. So what are you seeing regarding the pandemic impact? Right. So the impact, the specifics of, you know, at least people had the opportunity with the, the FFCRA, so the Family First Care um, Recovery Act, I believe is the, the R for it. But the FFCRA um, kind of opened up the possibilities of if I can't work, that didn't mean I know ha- I now have no income coming in for me. So because it was specifically COVID related, and this was the first time that there was, you know, legislation saying that if somebody can't come to work for any specific disease or reason, that the employer didn't have to take on the burden of being able to, to pay that individual. So they still had wages coming in. I'd exhausted all of my PTO. Um, mm-hmm. In that specific case, it came in, but it opened the eyes of, okay, we have to find some way if it's not COVID related and someone has to take care of their kids. There was the family version of, you know, the employee got PTO for their own absence, but in a bigger umbrella, this was the conversation that started of how do you manage when employees have to be out of work for a specific reason and they no longer have PTO available to them or we don't offer a sick leave policy. So it has definitely opened up those conversations to say, it was driven by COVID, but now employees are saying, I'm, I'm not coming back to the workplace because mm-hmm. I have these responsibilities that maybe they were started, they jump started with COVID, but maybe they were there all along and I can't come back. And now that I've had the opportunity to care for this person or how do I ma- balance that? And it's forcing employers to have that conversation or have the realization of how do I work with versus just saying, hey, you've got to figure it out you know, get yourself back to work, essentially. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely opened up a different conversation than there was before. And, you know, and I think because of this pandemic, people have have realized the impact of having to adjust your work schedule to care for Mm -hmm. someone, whether it was COVID, it kind of brought a light to all of this, I think. And so I think all of these studies that are showing the impact of caregiving to our entire economy are very important because we have to figure out how to be able to handle this. This is not going to change. It's not going to reduce. It's probably just going to become a higher number, right? Our our baby boomers, the volume is coming much higher. People are just living longer. And so we have to figure out a way to help family caregivers to adjust because the stress of caring for a loved one because they're sick is, is enough, but to put the financial stress on it as well just makes it just blossom into things where you know you lose your home and so we we have to be able to figure this out and I think some of the things we talked about today kind of gave people some tools to think about as well so I'm going to say um what are two actions that you recommend our family caregivers do immediately after listening to this podcast that may help them Right. And and if we're talking, you know, again, on the employer benefits, the first thing is to go and find your employee benefits information package, whether you have to go back to HR, go on the website, whatever it is, find that information and understand exactly what's available to you. What is your status 
um, in terms of accessing those benefits? How do I get in touch with them when I need them? What are the parameters for um, when benefits kick in, if I have to do it, um, is one. And the other one is researching those state and local benefits as to offer a paid family leave plan or anything that is state-specific um, and maybe options that are out there for you. So you know what your employer is giving you, but you also know what you're eligible for um, as a resident of a specific state. Right. And so I'm just going to repeat that last one. So just to make sure we research kind of what's out there on the federal and state level as well um, ourselves. Yes. And also I'm, I'm, I wrote down FFCR and kind of look into that because while yes. it was initially, you know, geared towards COVID, there's opportunities for us to see what else is in there that may be able to support us also um, because it's, it's just that whole caring or um, covering of others that, that could potentially help us in that benefit of that new act as well. So that's great information. Um, so are there websites, phone numbers, social media sites that you recommend that caregivers should follow in order to take action? Right. So one of the big ones is the hhs.gov. So it's a health and human services governmental website. And literally, if you, as soon as you go to the website on the first page is resources for caregivers. And mm. that then will take you to, uh, you know, click on the link for the, the different things that are out there. And it'll like the list can keep on going as you click on one, it'll take you to a list for something else. But um, that's a major one. Um, then caregiver.org is a great website. It's same thing for, for the resources because everybody's situation is so different you know, mm -hmm. being able to go in there. Um, and one of the things that I always encourage people is following in on Facebook. So finding Facebook groups that supporters, you know, the beauty of caregiver or elderly support and any of those things, but where people we always think about, you know, Facebook being really social and, you know, it's the family and friends connection. It's a great resource. And those groups will be able to be very specific and point to resources maybe in your area or for your particular type of situation, what the, even what the, you know, the disease or the, the disability that person has and, and be able to follow it that way. Awesome. So how can people get in touch with you if they have questions, kind of share your contact information with, with, with our audience? Yes, definitely. So um, my website is www.hrbizgroup.com. Um, and going from there, um, you can get in touch with me in pretty much any way that's necessary. Um, Facebook, Twitter, I'm not very good with my Twitter, um, but, you know, Instagram, any of those things. And I try to post things that are, you know, relevant to the companies, but the website is usually the first um, place to go. Phone number, everything is on there. Um, so again, it's hrbizgroup.com and free consultations. If it's something that you know, somebody has a question about, we're not just here for, like I said, the employers, you'll see a lot of things about the employer, but, you know, as an employee, sometimes it's just getting good information. So starting at the website, book a consultation or send me a question on my email. I'm happy to be there for a resource. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for the great information. And I do think this is good for the employee, but also the employer to kind of hear what's out there and what are things that we could potentially offer our employees. And while we offer them, they may not be necessarily something we cover, but at least we can offer them fine packages that they can use that are optional supplemental benefits. Um, and yes. so um, for myself, I'm beginning to look at those things as well. And I, you know, sup- a couple of things that I thought were really key is that people really need to look into the FMLA and the intermittent FMLA as well. I think that's really important. Um, And then I love what you said about going in with a plan. So have your plan to talk with someone and share with them that you are a caregiver. Most people are experiencing this themselves or they know someone very close to them who are caregiving as well. So they can probably be very empathetic to what's going on with you. So going in with the plan, you know, remote, job sharing, flex schedules, all those are just great suggestions in order to try to help you to be able to maintain that job. And maybe not completely resigning. Maybe you can do part-time or there's opportunities. I just, I think that's a great plan go in with the, with the plan. And, you know, your EAPs are also very important for counseling. Things are initially free and it is confidential. They are not supposed to go back and report to your employer that you called and this is what you said. So it is confidential. So I just want to thank you so much, Nicole, for such the great information you gave us. Um, I know people will be able to use this immediately and that's really what we try to do. So thank you so much for coming today. And also, you know, we'll continue to have this type of information all in one area at the Family Caregiver Expo. So that is the 2021 Atlanta Family Caregiver Expo. It's on November the 20th. You can go to callforcaring.org in order to find out more information, begin to register. The event this year is hybrid, so we'll have a virtual as well as an outdoor venue on the campus of Impact Church, and that's at 2323 Silvern Road. So the Call for Caring On Purpose podcast is part of the Finding Your Forte channel on, on Up To Me Radio at www.youtomeradio.com. It can also be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So we hope today's episode of Call for Caring On Purpose has met our goal to educate, elevate, and empower caregivers during their caregiver journey. Thank you. Thank you.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.